This is Sam. This is Paul. And this is South Paul. Hey, and one more thing. If you love the show and want to support us, go to patreon.com slash southpawpod. UFC Fight Night, Blahovic vs. Jacare took place in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and was obviously stacked from top to bottom with native fighters. Headlining the card, Jan Blahovic looked to spoil the light heavyweight debut of former Strikeforce middleweight champion Jacare Souza. Jacare was the third high-profile middleweight moving up to 205 this year, and his first fight at his new weight class did not go according to plan. Blahovic defeated Jacare by split decision in a largely forgettable fight. And even with the win, it's going to be hard for him to make a case for a title shot, despite having a 6-1 record in the division and having wins over two former world champions. Interestingly enough, Blahovic's last fight prior to this was against Luke Rockhold, another middleweight champion trying his luck up a weight class. This matchup doesn't offer us a lot in terms of technical fight study, but it does give us a chance to reflect on the issue of size when it comes to MMA. Simply put, sometimes size matters. Some old school fight fans still think fondly of the times where BJ Penn decided to forego any logical reasoning and jump up a weight class to give Matt Hughes his first title loss and snap his 13 fight win streak. Pride fans no doubt remember Sakuraba always being the smaller man in the majority of his matches especially when you consider that he fought monsters like Kevin Randleman and Krokop, despite being no bigger than today's average welterweight. And who can forget Randy Couture coming out of retirement from his light heavyweight days to move back up to heavyweight, only to win and defend the title? I know there are more recent examples to draw from, like Robert Whittaker, Amanda Nunez, Kelvin Gastelum, Dustin Poirier, and the most recent convert, Darren Till. I specifically name dropped old school fighters because those are going to be the ones that guys like Jacare will think of when they considered moving up to face bigger challenges. Consider that Jacare has been fighting since 2003 and has either fought for or won a title in every major promotion he's been a part of, minus the UFC. His career spans 16 years and the man has seen it all. Outside of his TKO losses to Whitaker, all of his losses have been decisions in the UFC with some closer than others. It's easy to see why he thought that a move up in weight might be the solution. He's not out there getting blown out and concussed in every fight. It's just by the judge's scorecard where he's not picking up the victories. Jacare might reason that if he just had a little more size on him, get rid of the weight cuts, and give himself a new start at 205, he might have a real chance at revitalizing his career. He's had success going back to his grappling days where he would enter in the open weight bracket and do well for himself, going as far as beating guys like Hodger Gracie and Fabricio Verdum. A big problem with this line of thinking is that light heavyweights not only hit harder, but are bigger and stronger, enough to make a difference. Blahowitz looked bigger than Jacare 
and it's shown in this fight. Adding to the fight that Jacare is turning 40 this year, and he isn't exactly fighting at a slow and methodical pace, a la Randy Couture. Technique matters most when all things are equal, otherwise there are reasons why there are weight classes. We've been spoiled by watching fighters go up in weight class and have success, but never consider the cautionary tales. The Robert Whittakers, Dustin Poiriers, and Henry Cejudo's of the world convince us that it's best to stop the weight cutting and move on up to greener pastures, but it's not always the case. One of the key reasons that Jacare hasn't had the same success is that he can no longer explode into takedowns like he used to. Go back to when he first made his debut in Jungle Fights and take a look at some of his fantastic early matchups in Dream. Yes, he was a bit wild at times, and his attacks in such a linear fashion would get him knocked out cold against some of the savvier defensive fighters today. However, the ring itself helped Jacare cut off guys and drew them against the ropes, where he can initiate a double leg or a clinch, and he can attempt his judo throws and trips. Older grapplers and wrestlers have a problem as they age, specifically with their knees. After years of utilizing this up and down movement, a lot of the wear and tear impacts their joints to the point where they have no choice but to try and close the distance and work out takedowns from the clinch, or drop down all the way to their knees and attempt a takedown from there. It doesn't mean that you can't be successful from there. Guys like Tatsuya Kawajiri made his career out of doing takedowns from his knees, and Kevin Lee will attempt them successfully from time to time. The problem is actually when they're done sporadically with no setup, and in single attempts with no chain wrestling in place. This isn't something that Jacare has never done. Even in his Brazilian jiu-jitsu competition days, Jacare was known for being aggressive and going for takedown attempts after takedown attempts, where he'll attempt outside trips to sotogaris to single legs, and when that doesn't work, he'll go for uchimadas to ankle picks. This was a guy that had an arsenal of takedowns, but now he's limited to closing the distance with punches, getting the clinch, and attempting a single or double leg from there. While we can see the physical limitations, the damage to his psyche is what's truly concerning. Fighters get old and become shells of their physical primes. It's an unfortunate side effect of aging and the damage you accumulate from a career in MMA. However, what seems to be so troubling for Jacare is his battle with depression. In a recent interview, Jacare opened up about how he would cry on his way to the gym and no longer had any motivation to train and fight. It's commendable that Jacare has sought professional help from a psychologist, but it does make us wonder about how other fighters might be dealing with this kind of issue. We all have bad days at work, but have you ever had one where the public at large got to see it live? Chances are your bad days are limited to coworkers and maybe some friends and family, not millions of people around the world with more than just a few of those who are trolls, ready to remind you that you suck and were never that good to begin with. I can't imagine the kind of mental toll this must take on other fighters who suffer this but don't seek professional help. It's like finding out you're diagnosed with a bacterial infection, and instead of getting on antibiotics, you just try to tough it out and ignore it. It's a fucking terrible idea. Now, Jacare can probably still win a few more fights at light heavyweight. He has enough skills and athleticism to pull out a few victories. However, 
future matchups aren't going to get any easier. And even if he's able to piece together a decent win streak, he stands a very small chance against John Jones. That is, if he's still champion and doesn't lose in an upset matchup against Dominic Reyes. Blahowitz didn't set the world on fire with this victory, and he's most likely going to have to win at least another fight to be even considered for a title shot. Both him and Corey Anderson are coming off wins, and the victories are in close proximity to one another. Perhaps a fight between them to determine the next challenger makes sense. Unless there's another middleweight trying to make his way back up, Blahowitz might have to be content sticking around and waiting for a call from the UFC matchmaker to see how his future plays out. Up next, we have Shogun Hua versus Paul Craig in the co-main event. Shogun and Craig fought to a draw, and even though Shogun has aged considerably, he's still chugging along and hoping to close out his career with another shot at the title. The fight itself was entertaining and showed us how far Shogun has come along, for better or worse. Shogun doesn't check leg kicks as often anymore, and just like fellow countryman and prolific kicker Jose Aldo, he might no longer be able to physically keep up with the pace and kicking exchanges, opting instead to take it on the legs to close the distance and enter in with strikes. It's worth noting that he's had multiple knee surgeries in the past, and his style of kicking has deteriorated over the years. This is the same Shogun that was jump-stopping guys over in Pride, but can now barely lift his legs up to check kicks. When Shogun uses his kicks properly, he is a nightmare opponent that is difficult to deal with. His punishing low kicks are used to hammer your mobility and keep you upright just long enough for the flurry of hooks and uppercuts. Remember, you don't have to actually connect with the kick in order to improve your strikes. Against Chuck Liddell, Shogun fainted with his right hip in order to get Liddell to stop and lower his guard setting up a beautiful left hook that dropped him. Shogun's defense of covering up with forearms high and moving his body laterally hasn't changed, but it has gotten slower and more predictable. Even during exchanges in close range, Shogun used to be known for being able to slip and rip with hooks to the body and head. This is how he caught other great strikers like Antonio Rogerio Noguera, Alistair Overeem, and Lyoto Machida. Even in his later matches against Dan Henderson, a dangerous puncher in his own right, the double forearm guard was still somewhat effective at absorbing the majority of his strikes, and Shogun was quick enough to return fire at close range. This time around, the striking of Craig worried Shogun enough that it got him to initiate takedowns. This isn't anything new. Shogun has been utilizing the outside trip takedowns even during his pride days. What was surprising was how much slower and telegraphed it is nowadays. Paul Craig is by no means a terrible fighter, but when he was making his MMA debut in August 2013, Shogun was headlining a card against Chael Sonnen. There is a clear discrepancy here, and even though Shogun is older and slower, their records aren't that far apart. Shogun was 4-1 heading into this fight, and Craig was 3-2. Granted that Craig was more active during that 5-5 period, it didn't seem like quite the mismatch that the oddmakers made it out to be. Besides, whatever Craig had in terms of youth and speed, Shogun made up for it with experience. Craig had some bright spots in this fight, and he handled the striking aspects better than most expected. His submission attempts were enough to keep Shogun from completely going old-school shooter box 
and his low kicks did give Shogun some problems. Shogun now has 4 wins, 1 loss, and 1 draw going back to his past 6 fights. It's not enough to give him another shot at the title, and it looks like the UFC wants him to run it back with Craig. Much like Jacare, Shogun finds himself in the twilight of his career, unsure of what to do with the future, but aware that his tools are no longer the sharpened weapons that they used to be. A lot of fighters have their identities tied directly to their profession, and once it's gone, they don't know what to do with themselves. Outside of opening up their own schools, what do most fighters do when it's all said and done? Rarely do they transition to a quote-unquote normal job, and many unfortunately find themselves looking at smaller promotions that will pay them to headline their regional card. Even if they don't need the money, the need to fight in order to maintain their identity isn't out of the question. Shogun has one fight left on his contract, and the UFC hasn't indicated that they'll extend it further than that. Instead of a rematch with Craig, how about a fight against another Brazilian legend, Anderson Silva? They were both former teammates and champions, but due to the difference in weight class, they never faced off against each other. It might be fun to see two old school strikers go at it again, and even though they're past their primes, we might get a glimpse of how those gym wars played out. As for Craig, if a rematch isn't in the cards, a fight against Jacare might prove to be a decent scrap. Jacare is coming off a loss and would welcome a fight on the mats if Craig decided to shoot in, and he can more than hang if they decide to stand on the feet and exchange. Finally, we have Henan Barrao versus Douglas Silva de Andrade. Andrade beat Barrao by unanimous decision, and it's unfortunately not shocking to see how far Barrao has fallen. At one point, Barrao was on a 32-fight win streak and finished guys like Brad Pickett, Eddie Wineland, Michael McDonald, and Uriah Faber. After suffering defeat at the hands and feet of TJ Dillashaw, Barrao has struggled massively, going 1-6 in, in his last 7 fights, with the sole win being against Philip Nover, a fighter no longer in the UFC. Adding to this problem, he's missed weight in 3 of those fights, a horrendous number when you consider that 2 of them were back-to-back. In our second ever fight study, Sam and I went deep into the problems of Henan Barrao in the episode, What the Fuck Happened to Henan Barrao? A lot of the same themes emerge in this card, where he hasn't evolved to striking from his early days at Nova Uniao. He's always had great reactions to attacks, but he lacked the ability to follow up. For example, Barrao's jabs are lightning quick and thrown with no tell, but his right straight is wild and undisciplined. Once fighters like Dillashaw figured out that you can take advantage of his reactions by constantly feinting and getting him to shoot the right straight with no follow-up, everyone followed suit. Barrao has now lost 5 straight fights, and he hasn't had a victory since 2016. The UFC might keep him around simply to have another former champ on their cards whenever they visit Brazil, something they've done quite often in the past. Barrao is stuck in this weird no-man's land where he's too big for bantamweight, but too small for featherweight. It's hard to predict a clear path forward for Barrao, but since this was his return to featherweight, again, maybe the UFC can give him an easier matchup to build back his confidence, or just cut him and let him get some wins on the local circuit. Andrade is now 4-3 in the UFC, 
And even though that's a record above 500, he should definitely look at trying to make sure he gets another win on the record before getting too comfortable. He's alternated between wins and losses in his past few fights. And although he has a victory over a former champ, it's not anything to get comfortable over and demand someone in the top five. Now that's the show. We've grown Southpaw purely from word of mouth, so that means it's all organic. So if you're already spreading the word, please continue to do so. If you've never done it, please consider telling your friends, sharing on social media, and also leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. This will make it easier for others to find us. And since this is independent media, every dollar you pledge on Patreon goes a long way in the production of the show. Find us at patreon.com slash southpawpod. Until next time, goodbye.